Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Ariane Resnick about how to be well when you're not. This episode is brought to you by the Functional Neurology Center, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are leaders in neurorecovery and experienced in treating complex concussion, concussion cases with dysautonomia, vertigo, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They have greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Hello, I'm Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who don't know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project. And I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I recently launched the Brain Health Magazine. And you can grab your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And also, don't forget to join my Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. So today, my guest is Ariane Resnick, and she is a special diet chef and certified nutritionist whose private chef clientele has included an array of celebrities. She writes books and articles and consults for individuals, brands, and chefs on nutrition, recipes, and wellness. She has been featured in the media such as Forbes, CBS, The Doctors, ABC News, HuffPost, Cosmopolitan, Mind Body Green, and Elle. She currently lives in Los Angeles, California. So welcome to the, the podcast, Ariane. How are you? Thanks for being Thank here. Thank you. I'm well. How are you? My pleasure. Thanks Good. for having me. Great. Well, I'm really excited to have you here today and talking about I think this is such a great title, How to Be Well When You're Not. Um, and I'm really thrilled to have you here and just sharing your your knowledge and your story. Um, so I guess I'd love to just begin with your TBI. How how did you come to be part of this world, this, this club? Yeah, I joined the club um, by moving <laughs> into a home uh, in late 2011 with a gas issue. And we knew fairly quickly that something was wrong, but we didn't know what. And typically when you have an environmental issue in your home, it's mold. So we did everything right. possible to get mold testing and there was no mold. Um, it went on for about six months. And I was, at the time we moved in, fairly recently new to being well again. I had spent several years dealing with late-stage neurological Lyme disease, which I recovered from completely and holistically only months before we moved. So everyone in my world and doctors that I began going to told me it just had to be a Lyme disease relapse, but 
I knew that it wasn't because my symptoms and my experience was just completely different. Um, when my ex's cat died of kidney failure, we were able to get our landlord to start calling in different types of people. And when he got an HVAC person in, um, the person walked into our apartment and said immediately, this is combustion byproducts. This is the product of a leaky stove. So he went to the downstairs, the people living underneath us, our downstairs neighbors, and discovered by going into the inner workings of the building that instead of venting out of the building as a gas stove is supposed to, the vent system didn't leave. It just was rooted to go directly into our floorboards. Wow. So for a year, we every time they turned on their stove, which was pretty frequent because they worked at home and it was an old, faulty stove, every time they turned it on, we were essentially flooded with their combustion byproducts. And since we moved in November, um, even in L.A., it's cold, you don't really open the windows. So we were just sitting with a progressive accumulation of those gases for about six months before and the issue did was you, dealt with. Were there carbon monoxide detectors in the home? There were, and those are sort of erroneously referred to as carbon monoxide detectors. They're actually just alarms, and you have to be about to die for them to go off. <laughs> they are That's in the, what I've heard. In the way that a, <laughs> yeah, in the way that a smoke detector, like all you have to do is cook bacon. And the whole building is going crazy. <laughs> They're designed to be incredibly sensitive. Um, carbon monoxide detectors are the opposite. They only detect really high levels in the air. So we were able to get diagnosed through um, blood work at the ER that was, um, rather than the normal blood work through your arteries, they go into, um, is rather than, pardon me, through your veins, they, they go into your arteries. So it's an arterial blood draw, and two weeks after the exposure had ended, I had critically low levels of oxygen in my blood. Wow. You know, um, you are not is- the first that I've met that's had a carbon monoxide um, poisoning issue, and it's it, it's just um, – it's just a reminder that brain injury can happen from so many ways, right? Like yes. it's not it just not a car accident. Fall, even though that's yep. standard. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what were they able to do for you in the acute phase? Um, pretty much nothing. No one knew what to do with me because carbon monoxide poisoning generally kills people. Yes. Um, it's, it's pretty rare to have slow, low-dose poisoning it's much more common for there to be a gas leak and you die. So the only thing that was suggested for the immediate was um, hyperbaric oxygen. So Mm -hmm. I I was prescribed uh, that basically every day for a month. And after a couple weeks, I got oxygen toxicity from so much oxygen. So it (laughs) it did what it could, but that wasn't terribly much. Basically the damage had been done and doctors just did not know what to do with me. I saw many assorted specialists um, predominantly for the purpose of having a lawsuit um, against my landlord, but no one, no one knew what to do. They basically said either you'll get better from this or you won't. And after a number of months when I was not making progress, I was essentially told to go get comfortable. And when I had a PET scan, um, I looked at the paperwork, and my diagnosis from Cedar sinai was Alzheimer's. Oh, wow. And I was, you know, in my early 30s. 
Right, right. So at this point, nobody's even mentioned brain injury. They never referred to it as that. Yeah. Even yeah, though that's so interesting. that really was, you know, there's there's no other word for what it was. Um, uh-huh. There were physical issues as well, of course, but um, I was able through assorted natural means to mitigate those in within the first several months after the experience, but I was not able within several months to do anything for my brain. And it was basically life without short-term memory. A lot of my long-term was unavailable to me as well, but the short-term was what impacted my daily life so heavily because I couldn't keep track of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was probably my biggest frustration with my short-term memory. And just yeah, like, terrifying. It, it, it was literally, so I was a photographer at the time. And let's say I had a session at 10 in the morning. I'd have to set an alarm for 9.30, 9.45, 9.50, and 9.55. Because I would literally forget that fast that someone was going to mm-hmm. come walking in my door. And people just can't comprehend that. They're like, oh, it couldn't have been that bad. I, you know, that's just getting old. And it's like, at the time I was in my thirties and it's like, no, exactly. no. This is not aging. <laughs> or people would yeah. say, oh, that's just menopause. You're perimenopausal. And I'm like, I'm not even 40. <laughs> so no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, We've been simple things like trying to cook for myself at home. Um, I had oh, to stop yeah. because I would reach into the oven without oven mitts. Mm-hmm. And yep. it doesn't take very many times of doing that before you learn to not yep. get involved yep. in that at all. Yep. I would leave so, burners yeah. on. I would take the food yeah. off and go about finishing the meal. And my friend or someone would come walking and be like, is there a reason this burner's still on? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> and that's very scary. Yeah. It's re- I mean, that's it was, a safety concern. It was, yeah. It was terrifying. Yeah. And it gave me um, a sudden window into what the great bulk of emotional disorders that I had no experience in life with looked like, because pretty quickly I had anxiety and depression and OCD and all of them, which thankfully mm-hmm. all went away when I healed the issue. But um, I had to do about 10 hours of cognitive psych testing. And yep. I scored real bad across the board. I actually have a page in my book of uh, the test results that show, like, you know, bottom percentile for very simple tasks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine was um, – I remember going in and she's like, for someone your age and your education, you scored fairly normal across the board – except short-term memory, you scored worse than a dementia patient. And I was like, uh-huh, yeah. not a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> and then she proceeded to tell me I was faking it, but that's a whole other story. Um, oh, I had, yeah. I had one of those as well. Yeah, it's just it just blows my mind. Um, but that's why we do what we do with awareness, exactly. right? Just to help people know they're not alone. <laughs> and, you know, um, Doctors only know what they know, um, and unfortunately, they don't know much about brain injury. Um, you know, the other, I, I met a family, the mother and daughter both suffered carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, the daughter was to the point where she was puking and passing out, and they were like, did you do drugs last night? Were you out drinking? What's going mm-hmm. on here? And she yeah. couldn't communicate, and then the mom passed out, and then dad was like, 
okay, something's not right here. And he called 911 mm-hmm. and found out that, like you said, the, the, the detectors hadn't even gone off. Um, yeah. And they were about to die. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of frightening. We think we're safe in our homes. Um, and it's those invisible things, like you said, mold and carbon monoxide. Um, and, and so you had had Lyme disease. So did that help you in your journey through brain injury? Like having that, um, that understanding of the invisible stuff? Um, in a sense, my, I think, greatest asset was the fact that I grew up in a, like, ridiculously holistic household. Um, my mom ran a co-op out of our basement. We did not have much commercial <laughs> food. So when I had Lyme disease, my family was very involved in helping me find natural treatments so that I didn't have to do years of intravenous antibiotics. And when this happened, they jumped in in the same way of here's what we can try, here's what, you know, might work. And similar to Lyme, it took an assortment of modalities. But um, I believe very strongly that life tries to teach us lessons gently, and we don't always listen. So when that yeah. happens, it either metaphorically or literally hits us over the head. Yes, <laughs> I totally I, agree. <laughs> when I went through Lyme disease, um, I felt I got better when I understood why I got sick. And I really felt like it made me a better person, a more compassionate, kinder, more understanding person. But it didn't give me any sense of purpose, which it really could have. For what I'd already done in my life, the experience of recovering naturally from a multi-year chronic illness that many people don't recover from could have let me know, hey, there's something to this. Um, But it didn't. And so carbon monoxide poisoning ended up being how I found my purpose. And it took that for me to understand there really is something to this. I can get well from things that I'm told I can't get well from. And I bet I could help other people do that too. Yeah. And once those pieces came together and I was better, um, life just sort of took off and hasn't stopped since. And that was about six and a half years ago. And pretty much and it, everything I've accomplished in life has been in that time. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how life throws us those curveballs, but there are, you know, that's the path we're meant to take. And we probably never would have taken it had we not, you know, my case slipped on the ice and your case um, had lime and carbon monoxide. Um, at what point did you become a certified nutritionist? Was that after everything, or were you already on that path? Um, I had already done some amount of nutrition consulting work with people in the past because I'd done a lot of private chef work, and I had a brand of snacks that were in Whole Foods, and so people would seek me out for that. But I did it very casually, and after this all happened and I recovered, and it was such a big deal that I recovered, um, I began getting a lot of inquiries from people when I would do press um, about, you know, if I could help them. And I just really felt that having some sort of certification would be beneficial because I wanted to ensure that I was doing things in the most credible capacity possible. So I did that in 2014, about a a year after getting better. Mm -hmm. And you have a book out called How to Be Well When You're Not, Practices yeah. and Recipes to Maximize maximize Health in Illness. 
Um, so tell us a little bit about this book and, you know, just how this all came to be. Um, so I titled the book in my head when I was sick with the carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, I want, I felt so alone and illness is a, the, sort of the most solitary journey you can take, no matter how many people are around yeah. you, because yep. it is you being stuck in your head full time. And typically in life, we do a lot day to day that gets us out of our own brains and focusing on things outside of them. But when you're sick and you aren't capable of doing day-to-day work, um, you're just stuck in your mind, and it's a very isolating, lonely place. So I had this idea that perhaps I could help other people feel less alone and not as hopeless as I felt, because I discovered when I got better from both illness, um, you really have to have hope. Hope is the most difficult and also one of the most important things. And studies have shown uh, strongly that believing you will have a positive outcome leads to a positive outcome more often than believing you won't. So I had the idea in my mind, and I got on the path of sort of combining my two passions in life, which are cooking and writing, and was able to um, have two cookbooks published in 2015 and 2016. And late the following year, I met with a publisher in New York, and they asked me about doing a weight loss book. And I said that I wasn't interested in that for assorted reasons, Um, not wanting to propagate gut diet culture, being one of them, being a body positive person, being another. But most importantly, that when I worked with people over the years, so often weight issues weren't related to just what someone ate or how much they exercised. They were about their health and that what I really wanted to talk about was the larger wellness conversation because the industry is fairly elitist and exclusive and I wanted to put something out in the world that would be simple and inclusive and full of tools that are free and don't take up a lot of time and thankfully the publisher thought that idea was interesting said did I know what I would call it and I said yes of course Um, and pretty quickly um it began to come together and they had asked me how I would leverage my celebrity connections because I had cooked for an assortment of people and I never had. Um, I was never someone who would just ask for a favor. So the forward for the book came up pretty organically. Um, I was cooking for Pink at the time and doing nutrition work for her in preparation for her tour. And she asked me to train her tour chef. So my response, having just returned from New York in a publisher meeting, was, how about an exchange? You write something for my book. Um, so she ended up doing the foreword, and that was really helpful and really sweet. And the book um, came out in September, and it is a collection of simple, easy things you can do to feel better because everyone tells you to think positively, but no one tells you how. And it's yeah. really somewhat impossible to get there on your own without guidance and without really specific tasks and exercises that have been scientifically shown to improve your mental state, your central nervous system, all of it. So it's a collection of those things. There are recipes because um, 
I learned that you can't be a chef and just put out a book that doesn't have food in it. Um, <laughs> so in the back, it has a recipe section, um, and it has a quote-unquote food plan, but the beginning of the food plan is, spoiler alert, this is not a food plan. I'm not going to tell you what to eat. Um, it's all about intuitive eating and figuring out what works for you right now. Um, and the bulk of the book, I have a couple chapters about my experiences with illness, and then the bulk of it is simple, easy, accessible tools that you can use and do all of them, do one of them, do them three times a day, do them once a month, in any order, in any capacity that you want, that can help you feel better. And then I also created an online program called well to one that is 21 days of those exercises in a structured framework for people who want a little bit more order and to kind of get things a little more quickly out of the book. Very cool. Um, so it's really more of an action plan um, opposed to, say, a cookbook. Yes, it is very yeah. much um, an, an assortment of action plans and things that by feeling better in the moment, you yeah. facilitate your body's ability to feel better long term because the more those moments add up, the more they become a wellness mindset. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's one of my big messages to people is, you know, you can't move forward if you're stuck looking in your rearview mirror, right? If you're stuck in the past and feeling sorry for yourself. And I get it. We go through that process. For some mm -hmm. people, it takes longer than others, right? And But you really, for me, it was about a year. Um, I kind of had a pity party, and I really didn't understand yeah. why this had happened to me. Um, and so finally, one day, I just made that conscious decision, like, okay, this is, this is me. Um, I need to make the most of who I am right now. And it was really profound how in that moment in, in shifting my mindset, I actually started to feel better and I started making gains in my recovery. And up until that point, I hadn't made any gains. Um, so it really is a, your healing is very much 80% mental, I would say. Um, and you know, yeah. And it's, it's, it can just be so hard to get to that place when you're in the other one, the why me. Yes. And so that's, that's what I address. Is. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like nothing is okay. Let's find something that's okay. And whether that's a gratitude exercise or breath work or journaling, there are so many ways to go about just having a moment of relief. And that's all it takes is that moment that gives you the ability to realize it's possible. And then you're able to have more and more of those moments, but it can be so complex to get there. Um, for me, being told that I wouldn't recover was good fuel to help me do that on my own. But it definitely, it impacts you when people are like, well, go get comfortable. And you just spend time thinking my life is over and being very angry about it. Yeah. And very, you know, it feels incredibly unfair, especially if you're on the younger side where it's not, you know, a natural part of aging that things kind of right. gradually go wrong, yep. you know, sort of like if you've got a back issue at 20, it's unusual. If you've got a back issue at 50, it's fairly run of the mill. So I think also the younger you are, the more upsetting it is. And for me, I felt like my life had been taken away right after I'd just gotten it back. And so that just felt like 
a ridiculously cruel twist of fate that I had such a short period. I had less than a year of being well before I was sick again. And right, you had back-to-back back It's very hard to get over that pity for yourself. Um, But it just, you've got to go through it, but it just doesn't do you any good to be in it. And people can stay in it for years and not get better. So, Ariane, we are just about out of time. And I just want to kind of wrap up with, you know, do you have any, you've already given us a ton of golden nuggets, but do you have any, final words of wisdom, any final thoughts for our listeners um, that maybe we haven't already covered? Um, Definitely just the reiteration that hope is everything. And it can take you places that you never would have dreamed of. I would not do what I do in my life and do it so successfully if not for my illnesses. I wouldn't take them back for anything. They made me who I am and I am a better, stronger person for them. So if you're able to shift perspective into what can this teach you and where can you go from here that's better, because like you said, there is no, there is no rearview mirror going backwards. Um, it's really amazing what you can accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to be here today and share your thoughts with our listeners. It's been greatly appreciated. And I do have a link in the show notes to your book on Amazon. So anyone who is interested in finding Ariane's book, How to Be Well When You're Not, you can hop on over to the show notes. So thanks again for being here. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It was great speaking with you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode with Ariane Resnick. And again, you can just find her book in the show notes. And just another reminder to hop on over to Facebook and join Amy's TBI tribe. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Amy Zellmer. And just another big thank you to our sponsor, the Functional Neurology Center. Find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Thank you all for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you again next time.